Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. That's basically what Paul is saying in our text today. In the midst of people trying to kill him and, and beat him, in the midst of being arrested and bound and taken by the Romans, he takes the opportunity to share his testimony of coming to faith in Jesus. That's amazing in, in, in and of itself. But we know this is Paul. This is the one who wrote, For me now to live is Christ and to die is gain. My life is about Jesus. And my mission being called and being an apostle of Jesus Christ is to bear witness to His resurrection and to see people come to faith. And even in the midst of this difficulty, this is his first intention. He has a passion for his brothers who are Jews and who have not come to know their own Messiah. We can see that in Romans 19 and following. His passion is that, that he might even be accursed, that they might be saved. As I said, we saw in the previous text, in the previous sermon, that he was doing everything he could do to get the gospel out, to fight for the unity of the church, to see his brethren in Jerusalem as well as the other places he had been. Come to faith in Him. So we find Him arrested. We find Him beaten. We find Him there at least attempting to kill Him. He's being dragged off and even carried off by the Romans. And He asks for permission to speak. And He doesn't speak. He doesn't start with my rights. This is wrong. Any of that, He starts with His testimony. And that's kind of what I wanted to break down today. We're studying the gospel in, in the Sunday school class. We're, we're studying things about how to be better witnesses. And I, I think we can learn a, a few lessons from Paul here that apply to us as we share our testimony um, of Christ and what he's done in our lives and how we came to faith in him. I think there are especially three lessons we can learn here. But to look at the main point I want us to take away as we look at his testimony, and then we'll see next week where he moves on from here and what happens to him. We know that he will you know, be in custody. He will end up in Rome by the end of the book, and, and he will be martyred for Christ. But to the main point of what I want us to see from Paul sharing his testimony with his Hebrew brethren today, we see it in, this is really reporting what all happened in Acts chapter 9, and we've gone over that, so... I won't do redo what we did there, but I'll point you back there if you want to you look at that. He's telling what happened then to this audience. But the main point I want us to see from this text in 22, 1 to 16 is that to be a faithful witness, we must relate to our audience, turn the conversation to Jesus, and call them to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin. We must relate to our audience, turn the conversation to Jesus, and call them to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Look first in verses 1 to 5. Paul, is, he's relating to his audience, but he's sharing his life before Christ. Paul's life before Christ. He's, he's, he's basically telling them, I understand why you're doing this. I, in fact, was just like you. He's trying to convince them of that. But verses 1 to 5. Brothers and fathers, hear my defense. This is or apologia. He's, he's given an explanation for his beliefs and his life 
now. But he says, I'm, uh, when I heard, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew, Hebrew language, or probably more accurately the Hebrew dialect, he's probably speaking Aramaic at this point and not Greek. The common Jewish language at that time. But he's speaking to them in their language. He's drawing near to them. He's, he's relating to them. So he says, uh, when they heard him speaking in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So there was already a hush, and now they become even more quiet. And look what he says. He says, I am a Jew. Like, you could say, like you. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. They, they knew that name. According to the strict manner of the law of our forefathers and being zealous for God. Watch him. As you all are this day. He said, he said I, I, I was zealous just like you. I was just like you. I was brought up by the famous rabbi and trained by the famous rabbi that you know. He was the most prominent rabbi of the day. Gamaliel, we've already seen him in chapter 5 giving wise counsel when, when the, the, uh, the, after the healing and the apostles were sort of being warned and tried and he warned them not to be careful lest they be fighting against God. But he was the most famous rabbi of the day. He was a respected man and Paul is saying, this man that you know trained me. I was a Jew trained up by Gamaliel and zealous for the law. Notice that language in verse 3. I, in the strict manner of the law of our fathers, I was zealous for God as you are this day. Zealous for God. So zealous that I did exactly what you're doing. See, they're, they're trying to stamp him out, not because of anything other than the gospel that he's preaching at heart, right? He said, he said, I did exactly what you're doing. I understand what, who you are. I understand why you're doing what you're doing. He said in verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death. I mean, the way was an early name for Christianity, right? The way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was an early name before it was, it was even called Christianity. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, uh, he says, the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So he's calling on people that they would know that they can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and journeyed toward Damascus to take all who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He said, what he's saying is, I, I like you wanted to stamp out this movement too. I was zealous for the law. I saw Christianity or the way as a threat. I saw it as a heresy. I saw it as false with a false Messiah. And so I wanted to stamp it out. Paul's saying, I, I get where you are. I'm a Jew like you. See what he's doing? He's relating to his audience. He's like, I was once there too. He doesn't go into, a, notice what he doesn't do here. He didn't really go into a long diatribe of all of his wicked sin. But he's sharing enough to relate to them and to help them to know who he is and that he understands them and that he was once on the same path that they're on. He focused on a connection or a commonality with them. 
sadly, it was a commonality of hatred of Christ in the gospel. But he's saying, I understand you. I relate to you. I was the same way. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't get their attention and stand up there and say, you wicked bunch of we're unworthy sinners. Not at this point, because he's trying to relate to them and he wants to be a witness to them. So his first, his first tip or his first help for us or what we see in this text is that you know what we, we need to relate to people. We need to, to find a commonality that will allow us to speak the gospel to them. Think of what Paul said, and we quoted in the sermon before that, you know, to the Jew I became a Jew. To those outside the law I became as those outside, not outside of the law of Christ. He wouldn't sin to win people. But he's trying to find as much commonality as he can without compromising his faith and his love and his obedience to Christ so that he can reach people. So his first tip for us would be relate to your audience. Try to find commonality. He even spoke in their language. He didn't have to do that. I mean, they, they understood Greek, common language of the day. But he spoke to them in their language and he said, I too am a Jew who was zealous and wanted to stamp this out. I even had authorization from the leadership to go to Damascus as part of trying to stamp out the way and stamp out the gospel. So at that point, you know, you can see them. There's a hush going on. He's speaking in their language, so there's more of a hush going on. You can see them hearing him and relating to them, his zealous for the law, Gamaliel, and all of these things. And you, at this point, at least, you can begin to kind of see him relax and listen in to what he's saying because he's relating to them. But notice he doesn't stay there very long. Next point, Paul's encounter with Christ. He relates and he points to Jesus. Look at verse 6. I was on my way to Damascus, he's already mentioned. Uh, drew near to Damascus, but at about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I mean, I thought of the, the, the shepherds in the field at night, and we talked about it in, uh, you know, in Luke chapter 2, when all of a sudden, you know, this glory from heaven, and the, the angels are there and telling them about the birth of Christ. This is actually greater glory than that. This is actually Christ showing up to rebuke Paul, but not to destroy him, to bring him to himself and use him. He said, a, a light from heaven, Shekinah glory, a glorious light, shone all around me. And he says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, of all the voices he might expect to hear, this is probably the last one. Because remember at this point, he's trying to stamp out the church and he's on his way to Damascus. He's not satisfied with stamping it out in Jerusalem. He wants to go outside of Jerusalem to stamp it out. He is very zealous. So he heard a voice speaking and this is what the voice said. Now watch this. Saul, Saul. Stop. That's re repetition of the name is an address of intimacy. It's an emphasis. Martha, Martha. Remember? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Imagine how, what he must have thought. At this point, he really doesn't know exactly what's going on. 
But he knows that this person, whoever this is speaking to him, is, is, is drawing near to him and asking him why he is persecuting him. So he's in shock, I'm sure. He's not just seeing this as some generic visit from the man upstairs. Remember, he face down, fell to the ground, knocked him off his high horse or mule. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Look how he answers. Here's what he didn't expect to hear especially. I answered, who are you, Lord? In other words, I don't know who you are. How could I be persecuting you? Who are you, Lord? Reverence, respect there. He said, he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. At this point, my first thought in my mind, if I was Saul, would be, uh-oh. Oh, no. I'm doomed. I'm toast. I'm not going to make it through this encounter. Because I'm seeking to stamp out the way, to stamp out the church, to stamp out this news of this person called Jesus of Nazareth that I believe was a false Messiah. Now I'm face down in the middle of light, so bright I cannot see. And Jesus of Nazareth says it's Him that is talking to me. Jesus is revealing Himself to Paul. And Paul, I'm sure, is freaking out. And it, it just gives sort of a side comment, Luke does, that the, those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice. Some of the older translations might, might say they didn't hear the voice, but really there's a difference there. Hear with understanding. They see the light. They hear something going on, but you know, the understanding of the voice is only given to, to Paul. Or to Saul at this point. He, he wouldn't have been Paul yet. And he says, he said, it's a good question. In verse 10, Paul, Saul says, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? And the Lord said to me, he says, rise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed you to do and since I could not see because of the brightness of the light I was led by the hand those who were with me and came to Damascus the man who was on his high horse is now walking blind being led by others into the very city he was headed towards and we know that later he will confound the Jews living there because they've heard he's coming to stamp out the church and suddenly he's preaching the gospel there but notice what happens here. Paul is, is, is on his way to seek to destroy the church. He is, he is in a religious way rebelling against God and His grace and His gospel. And Jesus arrests him on the road to Damascus, takes him off his, off his ride, and I'm sure he thought he would be wiped out. But he isn't. There had to be somewhat of a sigh of relief at this point. Because he wasn't just vaporized. And he's told to go on into Damascus. What 
here's the one thing he's saying with this story. Well, sure, it's his testimony. It's what happened to him. But in not so many words, he is saying, this Jesus you're trying to stamp out is the risen Lord. He's raised from the grave. I have seen him. I have heard his voice. He spoke to me. And this is what he says. See, he's testifying to the resurrection. To these people who don't believe. He's relating to them as a Jew and zealous for the law. And he's telling them that this Messiah who they think is false, just like he did, and they're trying to stamp out just like he was, is really the true Messiah who's raised from the grave and who relates to and defends and prospers his church and the thing for which he has created and sent her. And Jesus, in his grace, tells Paul to go to Damascus and await further news. The mighty Pharisee is blinded by the light. I won't quote any more Manford man on that. But... <laughs> you know what I'm... Old rock and roll guys understand those references. He's blinded by the light. He's humbled. He's being led by the hand into Damascus. He is testifying here to this crowd, giving his testimony, but he's now pointed them to Jesus and his resurrection and his reign. So Paul moved quickly to Jesus and what he knew to be true. He focused on Jesus to explain the change in his life. Why is he no longer persecuting the church? Well, it's because he has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's now part of the church He was trying to destroy. He's now proclaiming the gospel He was trying to wipe out. All because Jesus changed His life. The risen Christ. So this is Paul's second witnessing tip. Turn the conversation to Jesus. I promise you that will reveal where the conversation is going when you mention Jesus' name. But see, one of the things we're, we, we struggle when trip out, we talk way too much about ourselves and way too little about Jesus when we're trying to relate to people. Enough to relate and turn to Christ. If you're going to summarize anything, summarize your experience and expand upon the gospel. But turn the conversation to Jesus. I used to be this way. And I got the gospel. Now I understand who I am, who Jesus is, and what my problem was. Now I understand Jesus to be Lord, God, Messiah, Savior from sin. So the third one is Paul's acceptance of Christ. His acceptance of Christ. We've seen his life before Christ, his encounter with Christ, and now his acceptance of Christ. And I really encourage you, I'm not going to cover it today. But go back to, to chapter 9 and read about Ananias. Ananias wasn't one who said the Lord said go see Paul and he's, or Saul and he's like okay cool and just took off. He started questioning God's knowledge at that point. You sure you know who this is you're sending me to? <laughs> this is the one trying to stamp us out right? You know that. Go read chapter 9. 
But look how he's still connecting with his audience in verse 12. He said, and one Ananias, remember Paul's in Damascus, he's blind, he's waiting for more instruction from the Lord, and now the section where he accepts Christ, he comes to, to faith in Christ. Verse 12, and one Ananias, look how he describes him because he's relating to this audience. It's true about him. A devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there in Damascus. This man came to me and standing by me said, this man after the Lord convinced him to go and assured him to go, right? He came to Paul Saul and look what he says. I'm always struck by this. Because the Lord has explained to Ananias what he's doing and why he's sending him, look what Ananias says to what before that day would have been his like arch enemy because of his faith in Christ. He says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. Something like scales fell from his eyes, it says. And he said, now watch this. The God of our fathers. Who's that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The God of the Old Testament, the great I Am, their God, the Jews who claim to be following the God of their fathers. Now watch what he says. The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from His mouth. The God of our fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appointed you. This didn't sneak up on Him. It didn't just happen. He had a date with Jesus, a sovereign appointment on that road to Damascus for His life to be interrupted and changed by the risen Lord. The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, Christ, and to hear the voice from His mouth. For you, now watch this, the enemy of the church will now be a witness in the church. He says, for you will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. You're going to be a witness to everyone. That's what He's doing now. I mean, he can't wait to tell people about Jesus. His life is about Christ. And even though he's about to be jailed and he's there attempting to kill him, he doesn't hate them in, in, in an attitude like Christ. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's turned this situation to an opportunity to share his testimony and to share his gospel, which is Christ's gospel, the gospel. A witness, notice that, to everyone. You will be a witness to everyone, Jew and Gentile, of what you've seen and heard. And verse 16. Now watch this question. Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Saul, God has called you to Himself in Jesus Christ, His Son. He has appointed you to be a witness. Now why do you... Pause and wait. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I just want to point out something right quick about this this text, verse 16. Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
we have two commands here, not just one. And they are related in a, in a, in a, in a biblical way. But when he calls on him to rise and be baptized, he's not telling him that the water is going to wash away his sin. He's telling, he's baptizing a disciple and he's calling him to, to faith in Christ and, and calling him to baptism. But baptism is not what washes away his sin. And you can see it in the text if you see how it's put together. The first command is rise and be baptized. Stop. And wash away your sins by calling on His name. So it's not the water baptism that washes away His sin. It pictures and points to the real cleansing, which is the blood of Christ, that is applied to Him when He calls on the Lord Jesus Christ. So two things. Rise and be baptized. He's pointed to water baptism, but He's pointed to also to what it symbolizes, which is cleansing from sin in Christ and through His sacrifice. Our sins are washed away by calling on His name. What does that mean? Just say, Jesus, and your sins are washed away? You know better than that. I mean, I've said Jesus, and a lot of people say Jesus in their life in ways that aren't really honoring to Jesus. It means to trust Jesus. Those who call on the name of the Lord are those who recognize Him as Savior and cry out to Him for salvation. Those who trust in His name and who He is for their salvation. This means to trust in Him as Savior. Think about the tax collector. If you remember the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke 18, the tax collector's cry was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He called on the Lord for forgiveness. And Jesus says, he got it. Because God was at work. So to call on the Lord is a response of faith. Notice Jesus has already entered the picture. Picturing us getting the gospel as Corey preached. Coming to life and being regenerated. And now turning and trusting in Jesus, but to call on the Lord is a response of faith. Look, you've, you remember this, Romans 10, 11 to 13. As Paul is in the midst of talking about the Jews and Gentiles and how that all fits together in the gospel, he says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Notice what he says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, everybody needs the gospel. Everybody's lost by birth, needs a Savior. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who, here's the language, call on Him. Verse 13, for, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 11, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Another way will be, put, will be accepted, will be, put to shame, will be saved. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who turns and trusts Jesus receives Him as their salvation will be saved. Notice how Paul is calling his audience to faith through the mouth of Ananias. Isn't that cool? It's a very non-threatening way. 
He's, he's reporting what has happened to him, but, but he's being faithful to not make it about him. And he's turned from uh, relating to his audience and telling them who he was. He's turned it to who Jesus is and his, how he's changed his life and revealed himself to him. And now he's showing what, how he came to faith and he's giving them a call to the same thing through the mouth of Ananias. And that's where I'm going to stop today. But rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on His name. Be baptized in water and embrace what that pictures, which is cleansing from sin through faith in Jesus because of His salvation, His sacrifice. So Paul's third witnessing tip would be bring the conversation around to a call to faith. To trust in Jesus for the washing away of our sin. Kids, adults, everybody in the room, you know that sin is our major problem when we come into this world, right? We're born not keeping His law in thought, word, and deed. We're born falling short of His glory. We're born living and going our own way and only you know, bringing Him into the picture when He will support that. We make up our own gods. We need an answer for our sins. And Paul, through the mouth of Ananias, is telling these Jewish brethren that the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent His Son to save His people and that they can be washed clean from their sin by trusting in Jesus, by calling upon His name. Bring the conversation around to a call to faith. Three essential elements. We'll look at them quickly. As we're seeking to share our testimony, these three things should be present. Now, we won't always get to lay all of this out at one time with everybody we come to. But make sure, whether it's your testimony as we call it or just straight attempt to witness, make sure Jesus is the center of that and not you and your experience. And make sure there's a, a clear designation of who He is and a clear call to faith. But first, faithful witness requires our relating to our audience. As best you can, like the Apostle Paul, he said, I, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the Gentile I become a Gentile. I do all things that I might win all people to Christ, but I don't compromise faith in Christ in order to do it. Faithful witnessing requires relating to your audience. It's what we saw before. Becoming as much like them as possible without compromise or sin. Much of the church, much of the church thinks the way forward is to try to be as different as they can be from everybody. Especially in legalistic realms, right? Just very accusatory, very different, making mountains out of molehills, missing the gospel. So much of the church thinks the way to witness is to just be as different as possible, especially in the externals. Making big deals out about whether or not people go to movies or whether women wear makeup. and uh, It just aggravates us. Mm. But some of the church becomes too much like the culture to reach them. Some of the church will actually walk into sin to reach people for Christ. And that's the wrong way too. 
But see, Paul honored Christ as Lord and he shared a commonality with his audience. He was a Hebrew, a Pharisee, zealous. He hated the church. He shared enough to establish a commonality. You know, so you have things in your past, most of you, that you can relate to people with and share enough of that to develop a commonality, not going into gory details about all of your sin. Nobody really wants to hear that. And if they do, you really don't want to share that anyway. But enough for them to know, you, just like they are, were once, as the hymn says, lost and in need of salvation. That you're no better than they are in and of yourself, that the difference is not you, it's Jesus. So as long as you're honoring Christ, find a way to relate to sinners so that you can share the gospel with them. Jesus is the most beautiful picture of this. Now the religious world came down hard on him for that. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sick, he says. Because there were all these rules made up that weren't actually moral commandments. The, the church of the day really got after Jesus because he associated with sinners. He ate with them. He, he spent time with them. So we need to relate. If, you, if, all the, if the only people you ever come into contact with are Christians, adjust that. Now don't spend all your time with sinners either. Bad company corrupts good morals. But intentionality is what it takes to reach people for Christ and to be able to reach them and relate to them so that you can share the gospel with them. So a faithful witness requires you relating to sinners or relating to those that you're speaking to. Number two, turn the conversation to Jesus. This is the hard part, isn't it? This is the hard part because this is the part you know some people aren't going to like and agree with. People will relate to you all day long as a sinner to a sinner. Yeah, that's just, you know. I like sinning and God likes forgiving, so it's just a good arrangement. But turn it to Jesus, just like Paul did. Notice how stealthfully he did this in sharing his testimony and his experience of coming to faith in Christ. Now listen, I know Christ didn't come through the ceiling and shine light on you and appear to you and all of that stuff, but even just as glorious, the Spirit came and applied the gospel to, to you so that you began to realize who Jesus was and uh, therefore who you were and your need for a Savior. See, Paul didn't stay very long on his past. He turned the message to Jesus. And see, that's where we need... Sometimes you just need to make a stumbling attempt. See, we, won't, we always want these smooth transitions. But sometimes just... Turn in the conversation. That's what Paul did here. He didn't have a long transition. He just said, I was walking this way and bang, and here I am. But we can't share the gospel if we won't talk about Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, summary of the gospel. For I delivered to you what is of first importance, what I also received. Notice gospel, first importance, gospel. That Christ, there's Jesus, Christ is not just his last name, by the way. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That would be the Old Testament he's pointing to. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accord with the Scriptures. In simple nutshell summary form, Paul is saying the Gospel is Jesus. His life, death, burial, and resurrection. So if the Gospel is Jesus, I have to find a way to talk about Jesus, which Paul did very well in this text. And I'm not going through all the details. We talked about this, this, this encounter in chapter 9, so I'll point you back to that. But then notice that he also called for conversion, and he did it through the mouth of Ananias. Nonetheless, it was the same call. In simple, non-threatening way as possible, he pointed them to their responsibility to repent and to trust Jesus. To deal with their major problem, which is sin. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death, and that is physical and spiritual death. It is ceasing to breathe and live in this body and spending eternity in hell because we can't satisfy justice on our own. But the good news of Romans 6.23 and other verses, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to earn it. The free gift so as Ananias told Paul, and Paul through Ananias is telling this crowd, I say to you, wash away your sins by calling on the name of the Lord, by turning and trusting in Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us. He's reigning now. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, whosoever, not just mental assent, trusts in Him, it says, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did Jesus die? He paid the penalty we deserved to pay. He was under the power of death for a time, but he rose the third day, proving it all true. And the command to you, based on that, is turn and trust in Jesus for your salvation. It's a quick tour, but we learn from Paul. This is a neat thing that we, that we learn, because... <clears throat> We don't practice sharing our testimony very much anymore. And when we do share it, we often spend most of the time on ourselves and very little on Christ and, and very little on repentance and faith. When, when I hear what, I, what, what we're saying, when I want to hear your testimony, don't assume I know anything. Tell me, you know, who you were, how you came to faith in Jesus, what, what it means to trust Him. That's what Paul did. He took this audience, he knew who they were, he knew where they were, and he showed them how to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus by sharing what God had done in his own life. But he made the focus of that Jesus, and he got in a call to repentance and faith. So that's what it means when, to share your testimony, to be a witness in sharing your testimony. Relate to those around you who need Christ. Tell them about Jesus and how he drew you. And call them to faith. Tell them you were once lost, but now found. You were blind. I mean, literally, Paul was blind for a time. You were blind, but to now you see. And how they can be found too. Face the danger. Be willing to pay the cost. Because Jesus faced the danger for you. And he paid the cost. And tell others the wonderful news about the grace of Jesus. Be a witness 
to the grace that is yours in Christ. Another verse from Amazing Grace, and I'm done. Through many dangers, you can see the Apostle Paul again. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, just like the Apostle Paul, those of us who know you, we have a testimony of grace. Whether it be coming to faith as a child, whether it be never knowing a day when we didn't trust Jesus or some of the rest of us coming to faith later in life, it doesn't really matter because we can focus it on you and who you are and your free salvation to us because of your sacrifice. Lord, I pray that everyone listening to me in this room or on the internet will be trusting in you, Lord Jesus. If there are any that are not, help them to call on you. Help them to be willing to turn from rebellion against you and pushing you away to submitting to you and receiving the free gift of your Son as their salvation. Being like the tax collector, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me, I trust in you. Whatever the language, there's no pat sinner's prayer, but a heart that now turns and trusts in Jesus. Work that in us and work that through us, Lord. As the psalmist even prayed, open my mouth. Open our mouths to testify to the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the one word summary of Acts is witness. Help us to be witnesses for you. Light and salt for you. Enjoying and glorifying you. And telling others, Lord Jesus, who you are, why you came, why you died, that you are raised, and that you give salvation as, out as a free gift through faith in you. Have mercy on us that we might live for your glory and enjoy it because of your grace. Lord, strengthen the weak, heal the sick, clarify the confused, challenge the proud, grow us in grace, and bring others to faith. Work your work through the preaching of your word. Have mercy on us in Jesus' name. Amen.